Welcome back to the Behind the Net podcast. As always, I'm your host, Matthew, and joining with me is my co-host. Michael, how's it going, everybody? Um, honestly, I lost track of what number week of quarantine this is or, or not being able to actually <laughs> meet in person, but I think we've done more or we're nearing doing more episodes uh, remotely than we have in person. It's actually crazy. I, I almost forgot about the time that we were actually recording podcast in studio. It's, and I've gotten so used to this. It feels like such like a like a dream. Like I don't even remember the t- like how it was when people were actually meeting up with people. It's it feels <laughs> like a foreign concept at this point. <laughs> Honestly, um, but yeah, man, how was your week? Uh, I do want to ask you definitely about last week. We talked about the new SpongeBob game. We were talking about that. Yes. I I finished it. I wanted to ask you about that game and also just just tell me like how's your week been and and how how's everything been keeping up with you it's been good man honestly uh first of all with the spongebob game uh i did beat it uh as of last night uh i really enjoyed it and i thought it was uh, definitely worth the, the the hype and i'm glad i got to experience it it's a fun game right like as a yeah. platformer <laughs> it's such a good platformer like at its core it did a lot of the fundamentals of a platformer like if it, it improved on a lot of things i remember one of the most important things people used to love about it was that it was one of the first platformers or one of the first big platformers where like you know in super mario 64 when you go into a world and you pick up a star mm-hmm. you get kicked out of the level and you have to basically do the level again to get the next star yeah spongebob yeah, did it where you're still in the world and you could just keep progressing and people love that I kind of, you don't really, uh, I think when you're playing a game like that at such a young age, you don't fully appreciate until you're a bit older just how important it is to have that ability to just continue to play in the level. And I think I really took full, I really took it for granted in playing games like Super Mario Odyssey of late, which is uh, another fantastic game. And I really did enjoy this uh, experience with, with Battle for Bikini Bottom. And I hope to get it to the original copy so I can have both in my collection. Yes, I have my original copy, but the, the case is like torn up and stuff. I was. I did not treat it well as a kid because I play like so much, <laughs> but it's still there and it's such a good game. Yeah, man. Uh, as I long know, as the game's still in good condition. If if you haven't already, like I'd suggest like trying to collect everything as well. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. you do in a collect on as well. Like I, I spent, I think I beat it. I think I beat it in a couple days, um, like the base nice. game. And I spent another two to three days cleaning up basically. The most nice. annoying part is getting the, uh, is basically farming the shiny objects for Mr. Krabs to buy the spatulas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I did find a way to uh, farm it a bit, but it took me like almost two hours to, to get everything I needed. Just did you hundred percent it? I did a hundred percent. Nice, nice. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah I, I, I mean, people who listen to this podcast won't even know <laughs> if they don't, if they don't <laughs> play the game, but I think I, I did the one where you go to Goo Lagoon and you, uh, there's like on top of the sand castle, you could like, get a whole bunch of uh tiki's and then just jump off and it'll spawn you right back there yeah that i did that one and there's another one in uh jellyfish fields just after the this this the part where you meet mrs puff mm-hmm. you go up to like this a uh, big wall of tiki's you blow up the wall and then you jump in the water and just keep doing that over and over okay yeah that's a great game i feel like maybe like in a month or two I, i'll want to go back and play it again it has a lot of, of replay value of course. Uh, before we move on to other subjects, uh, how has your week been? It's been pretty good. Um, been a pretty busy week. Uh, quick shout out to my sister. Uh, she's getting married uh, this weekend, so uh, that's that's great. But uh, I've been busy, uh, and uh, it's good. It's good to uh, 
it's good to stay busy during this time, especially when we haven't really had anything to keep us busy for the longest time. If you guys are listening to the podcast right now, uh, make sure to tweet back at us. Hashtag congrats, Matt's sister. <laughs> Just send, send her your congrats. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I've been I've been doing that. Uh, and uh, there, there's been a lot of uh, sports things uh, kind of coming up, which has been keeping me interested. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're inching closer to sports, the return of sports, which is nice to nice to see. Um, obviously, that kind of juxtaposes with the point that uh, the COVID cases have been spiking as well lately, um, especially yes. in the United States. So there's concern with the return of sports, as we both have spoken about before, our concerns about it. Um, but we'll talk about it a little more. But uh, I, I feel like we should go into some sports talk now. Yes, let's do it. There's quite a lot this week, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, now that we're, we're, what, less than a month away, these things are really going to be starting to pick up much faster as the uh, days and weeks progress. Mm-hmm. I mean, while, we, uh, while we're kind of on the topic of the whole return to play, um, I mean, uh, I, I did want to bring up first, I showed you, uh, if, if nobody's seen, uh, the NBA tweeted out photos of uh, the practice courts um, that they're building for uh for the teams in uh orlando and i remember i sent you it uh i sent yes. you the tweet um on in our dms and and uh you did not really like the concept i didn't really like the concept either um it's interesting to see how mm-hmm. they're gonna run it because um at first sight it looks like a a safety concern um but we'll see how they intend to run or utilize these courts but basically it's um like they have i don't know it looks like a warehouse type hotel big room setup and then they have like well we got to see two courts that were built and it was miami's and indiana's courts and they were right next to each other yeah right and i wasn't yeah i wasn't really a big fan of it uh for those of you who are not aware of what what tweet we're talking about is the tweet where the nba says laying down the practice floors on uh july 2nd on the very first photo, it's very clear. You can see the Indiana Pacers and the Miami Heat's courts literally right next to each other. And unless we know for, for sure what the uh, regulations are and like how the practices are going to run, like which teams will be on which court on, on one day and which court on another day, this does not look like this does not look good. And we've been seeing the cases in the U.S. been skyrocketing the last couple of weeks, especially these last few days. And when you see stuff like this, it just kind of makes you worry about if the NBA's and what the NBA's real intentions are for actually getting the season resumed. And we've been saying this for a lot of sports. If you don't have a proper plan in place for ensuring the player's safety, and we'll talk about this more with other sports later on, this is not a promising sight to see when stuff like this gets uh, out in the media. And it makes the, the league look greedy for uh, prioritizing their bottom line more than uh, the health and safety of their players. Mm-hmm. And I am assuming that they have a plan. Um, I'm honestly assuming that they're not going to have teams practice at the same time. I mean, in the back of my head, there is that thought, like, let's say, you know, you're trying to cram so many teams practicing. Um, I mean, 22 teams have to practice right in the same facility or in the same facilities, or there's a lack of facilities for, for that. And um, you might, I mean, I, I feel like maybe they they might have to schedule practices together, but assuming uh, th- this th- this is the way they're gonna go with it. The safest way would just just uh to be uh the safest way to, would just to have teams practice at different times. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, I mean I also think like if you have Miami and Indiana practicing at the same time or next to each other, one obviously it's a safety concern. I mean, 
that's got to be more than 40 people in a room, right? In a closed exactly. indoor space, uh, considering you're going to have coaches and staff and trainers and things like that. But also, yeah. I mean, how are you going to like, um, like plan out your plays and things when the opponent's like right on the court next to you? <laughs> I think what would be easier would be to have no more than two teams on the court at the same time, but also have like some sort of curtain so you can't see what's going on on the other courts. Yeah, it might still you might still not block out what the sounds that are being made on the other courts. You could kind of like, ooh, I wonder what this guy is saying, what their claim pin is. And if it's a team that they're playing in the, in the playoffs, they'll they'll be like easy ways to like jot down notes, like you said, and uh, potentially get themselves an unfair advantage. But then again, it could go both ways. I, I like to think that. Uh, if the, if it's like like in a room like this, no more than two teams on the courts at the same time. Because mm-hmm. if you try to put cram all four teams in there, even with these curtains, it still not it does not guarantee safety. Mm-hmm. And like we said, indoor locations for COVID, you're more likely to catch the disease there than outside. I mean, even with curtains though, that doesn't you know that doesn't block out the noise or oh, like the screaming screaming out plays and things like that. Um, but nonetheless, I'm I'm sure the NBA has a proper plan in place. Um, well, if they don't, then uh, it shouldn't be returning. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about it. But it's just interesting at first sight seeing that oh, uh, tweet. Yeah. Um, also, um, I mean, moving away from the return of uh, the return of sports, but another thing that's kind of been trending today um, that I wanted to talk about was um, the. I mean, it was trying kind of trending today, but the Washington Redskins are uh, currently reviewing their name, and I do know that uh, this has been something that's been, uh, you know, that there's been uh, pushback against the name, and and not just for the Washington Redskins, but a lot of uh, mm-hmm. a lot of sports teams' names that are are uh, named after you know uh, indigenous often indigenous slurs or um just indigenous titles that uh they really shouldn't be and it, and it is offensive to uh to the indigenous communities um and yeah. i just want to know what are your thoughts on that because i for one definitely i i i've always stood with i think honestly uh with all, all those teams i mean you know the ones like the, the redskins the uh the cleveland indians the uh edmonton eskimos even uh even the chicago blackhawks of course um when you're named after, uh, you know, uh, in like when you're named after something so embedded into history like that, but it's for a sports team. Um, I think in the end, like when it comes down to a team name, you should just change the name if it's offensive to a particular group of people. Either way, I was yeah. telling you this before the ep- before we started recording the episode. Um, Teams have changed their names in the past. I mean, I was I mentioned yeah. you know the in basketball the uh, New Orleans Hornets turned into the Pelicans, the Bobcats yeah. turned back into the Hornets. Uh, you mentioned the, the the Washington Bullets turned into the uh, into the uh, Wizards. Yeah, and uh, honestly, as long as a team is in the city that they're in be it the Washington Redskins or the Chicago Blackhawks, as long as they are, let's just say the Chicago Blackhawks, as long as they are a hockey team in in Chicago, you can give them a whole new jersey scheme, a whole new uh, logo, a whole new team name, and uh, they could rebrand completely, and I can assure you people are still going to support the team in their city. 
Exactly. Because that's and what I, sports is about. It's about uniting people. And don't if 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 your team name, logo, or the branding of your team is um is offensive to people, um definitely like even if it's to a particular group, you should not be using it. And absolutely. um I mean also that uh, you have to consider also the aspect of profiting off of off the history of a particular per, uh, group of people as well. That's an aspect. So I think I've been I've been saying this for a long time with all the pushback um, historically that these teams have gotten. I've been on the side that they should definitely change the names of these teams. You just pretty much said exactly what I'm thinking, and I want to expand upon it a little bit further. What what I find crazy is that these issues have been present for so long and it only took the major sponsors of the teams themselves to pr- pressure them into changing the names for them to mm. actually go forward with for it. For anyone like, who doesn't they- yeah, for anyone who doesn't know it's it's trending today because uh, I believe FedEx who is uh they're the sponsor of uh, Washington Ray of their yes. NFL team um FedEx is basically pressuring them to change the name. And like I said, this has historically been a an issue that uh, that a lot of people have been uh, asking for for a change, and I guess now that the the sponsor has stepped in, the, it's it, they're starting to take it more seriously, which they should have taken it more seriously long time ago. It just really puts into perspective that uh, money still makes the world go around, and that mon- that it's all about like you know the saying from the raps like there's a rap song where the the chorus is is all about the Benjamins. That's literally true with with things like this. If money is being pressured, if, if people, if organizations are pressuring these teams to back out financially in hopes of them actually doing things that should have been done years ago, that should tell you that it. If you want to make serious changes, you have to hurt their bottom line, and that's what really sucks. That mm-hmm. it doesn't take like like oh this makes logical sense. This name is not that great. It hurts people. Maybe it's a good time to change it. And I'm surprised it's taken them, what is it, 30 years since this thing has, this first this debate has first started? Or even uh, the fact that this name was even chosen to begin with? Or how about the fact that the Indians had their logo recently changed back in 2018, and yet they still are called the Indian? Mm-hmm. I agree. And, uh, of course, I, I think, uh, I mean, I, I just wanted to reiterate that uh, for both of us and now on and also other people who are you know offering their opinions on this debate um you and i we're not uh we we are not part of any indigenous community but mm-hmm. uh so it's not our uh it's not our position to be offering our opinion or are really fighting back against anything but um the point of the point i have the uh and i'll leave it at that of course uh but the point i, I i'm making here is that i stand with uh you know the indigenous communities who uh who are against this uh um against these uh team names and these team brands oh of course yes and i think at the end of the day uh i obviously it's not our position for whether or not we should be offended in the in the ways that uh the black community for certain issues during these recent weeks mm-hmm. feel offended by certain things but i think we can all agree that the time has it's long overdue for the Washington Redskins to change their name. And mm-hmm. I hope that whatever name they do come up with uh, is uh, a safe name, a, a name that's uh, welcome for all. And that's what one step forward for making sports even more inclusive than it already is. Which mm-hmm. actually, by the way, 
there's been a lot of uh, debate online over what the name of the team should be when they do decide to change it. I have some ideas, but I was wondering what you think they should be called. People are gonna follow. We're we're, we're gonna love the like. People are gonna love the team no matter what a team is called. Let's let's be real. <laughs> if the like the Toronto Maple Leafs, I mean, it's not a special. I mean, it is a special name, but it, I mean, at first glance, it's not like. You don't judge a name off of, oh, is it a cool name? Oh, is it just, you know, like a team name is a team name and it creates an identity behind it. Um, people are going to love it. I remember people didn't like the Toronto Raptors name because it was <laughs> it was kind of capitalizing on the uh, hype uh, around Jurassic Park and all the, the dinosaur phase that kind of went through uh, in those, those mid 90s times. But mm -hmm. people love it. People are going to get behind teams, but I don't know. I, I, I don't know what they named their team. But bottom line for me is uh, we got to listen to the indigenous communities and uh, not, you know, pretty much so many people, so many fans offering their opinions. Um, we have to listen to indigenous communities who are the ones being directly affected by this instead of, of forming defenses against it. Of course, yes. Mm -hmm. And the beauty thing of this is that uh, this is now the prime opportunity to develop a new name that's reflective of both the city that they're in and the unique position of them representing the nation's capital. So I hope that they use this opportunity to uh, come up with something uh, that at least to the minds of America, to, to the citizens of the Washington, D.C., something patriotic, or something reflective of the city that they are in. And uh, I think this is definitely would be a step in the right direction for other teams to feel more compelled to actually want to change their names if they have a name that can be considered offensive. And I think, like, we talk, I've talked about teams like the Cleveland Indians. Uh, if you look back in the history of uh, Major League Baseball, they were once there was once a baseball team in Cleveland called the Spiders. And if it, if it were up to me, I think it would make perfect sense because there's already a team called the Spiders in the history of baseball. Why don't you switch the Cleveland Indians to become the Cleveland Spiders? That's just one example mm. for me. But you could do that for like a lot of other sports. Like, I really don't think a team's gonna lose fans for changing their name. That's a pretty cool name too. Um, that's a really cool name. Um, I don't think it. If I was if I was a Cleveland fan, if I was a fan of their team, like I wouldn't bat an eye for them changing their name to the Spiders. Like, it's still the same team at at the core of it. It's the same team. It's the same group of guys, and it's the same team you're putting out on the field, just with a different brand and a different name exactly and at the end of the day this is about uh, making sure the sports are more inclusive but also making sure that uh, sports teams names do not uh, make people feel restricted and unsafe in uh, joining the sports and i think that's what we'll leave it at that exactly um we'll leave it at that um but i do want to move into another uh kind of big uh well there's two big uh things we want to talk about this uh week we'll we'll start with hockey and i'll let you take it away because uh I know you want to talk about last week, and we never got to talk about last week, but we'll talk about it this week. Um, the uh, class action lawsuit that is being uh, made against the CHL. So, Michael, if you could uh, explain to the view, uh, to the listeners what's uh, what's been going on there. Uh, it's a very heavy subject, uh, first of all. Um, I don't feel very comfortable talking about the full-on details of the things that have been done to the players. But essentially what's been happening is there's a class action lawsuit being uh, brought forth by Daniel Carcillo and Garrett Taylor for really grotesque, violent, uh, disgusting, and uh, downright traumatizing uh, 
hazing incidents that both of them experienced uh, during their times uh, in the CHL. I believe uh, Carcillo was in the OHL with the, I believe, the Sarnia Stings, and uh, Garrett Taylor was in the WHL with the Hurricanes during the time that these incidents happened uh, in their respective rookie years. Mm. There is a very long piece that details uh, the story, like like what's going, what's uh, being included in the class action lawsuit by Ken Campbell on the Hockey News. If you haven't read that already, if you and if you're comfortable enough to read it, I would recommend that you take a look at it. And basically, these kind of stories have been circulating around. For like this, this, this rumors of these kind of things happening have been like kind of been uh, in the conscious of some play- people in the hockey meet- hockey world for years, and this is now being brought forth to the public's attention, which has gotten people very upset over the downright uh, sickening things that are happening in hockey culture. And we've already seen a lot of uh, awakenings for hockey culture in the last uh, twelve months. Obviously, first with the uh, the Bill Peters incident and Akima Lou, um, the Mitch Marner story with uh, Mike Babcock, uh, and now this uh, this moment right just the moment uh, with the uh, George Floyd uh, protests and the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, and now this story, it's uh it's pretty crazy that these store these things have even happened. I'm sick to my stomach when I read the details. Um, and the I think what's really even more sad, but also kind of helpful in help progressing changes is how much more stories there are mm-hmm. of these kind of things. Because Ken Campbell has been covering this story a lot and uh, more he's been writing more articles since that initial piece with more players both backing up the hazing incidents and other players coming forward with their own stories of hazing, like the, the really bad kind of hazing. Mm-hmm. And there's also Rick Resthead, who is been covering the story a lot as well, and he's been tweeting out uh, a number of stories, not not uh, limited to the CHL, but junior hockey as a whole in Canada, and they're just as bad, if not worse, than the kind of things that have been talked about uh, in the CHL stories, and like some racist uh, taunts being fought forward, and no uh, p- punishment being handed to the player that uh, used the the vulgar slur like mm-hmm. i could go about this uh, for a long while but i think what i'm going to tell you guys is that it's sad that it's taking this long for action to be done for the players that are committing these vile and, co- and players and coaching staffs that are committing these vile actions and i hope that there are serious changes made from from top to bottom in the hockey culture because if you want to know why people have a hard time buying fully buying into uh, the sport of hockey and just the fan base, fan base surrounding it. It's when stories like these come out and the kind of things that minorities have to experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I completely agree with your uh, points, Michael. And uh, I just want to uh, give some more details about the uh, lawsuit. So yeah, it, um, Daniel Carcillo, again, a former NHL player, um, he uh, basically announced it on June 18th. And uh, I'll read his uh, statement. Uh, I just want to mention that basically the uh, the defendants that are listed is uh, the CHL and its three member organizations, which is the WHL, the Western Hockey League, 
the Ontario Hockey League and the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. And just as they are listed, they're also all their teams that are under those leagues are listed um, as defendants. Um, before I, I mention, before I read out his statement, I I, I want to reiterate your uh, point and and really emphasize that that um, I'm 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 so glad it's uh, it's happening like this uh, this lawsuit is happening now to kind of bring light to it and and bring justice to um, really what's really a big thing that's been tainting hockey culture for a long long time and you and I we've spoken a lot about the issues in hockey culture on this podcast a lot um whether it's from racism to homophobia to you know uh, lack of diversity um and and this lawsuit details a lot more very descriptive and very uh just terrible things to hear and read uh things that happen and you and I we've we haven't played um we we definitely haven't played major junior hockey or we haven't even played <laughs> any any form of of you know competitive or, or any higher rank of competitive hockey um but definitely when you put teenagers grown up in this kind of toxic hockey culture together um these i guess what we've learned from this lawsuit and people like daniel carcillo who's been speaking out about this is that these terrible terrible things happen and it's about time that you know some justice is served and changes are made so i just want to read daniel carcillo's statement so he said um when he tweeted this out he said i commenced a class uh proceeding today against the canadian hockey league and its leagues and teams it's on behalf of underage minors who suffered violent hazing physical and sexual assault and psychological trauma while playing major junior hockey league uh i was one of those kids when i played in the ohl i know there are many more just like me i believe this case will give those who who were abused a chance to be heard in my experience sharing stories of abuse is part of the healing process it allows a person to take their power back i also believe that this lawsuit will create real positive change in canadian junior hockey this type of abuse has nothing to do with the sport and it needs to stop and i agree that at its core this is not what hockey is but somehow hockey culture is really it has become toxic in those ways i mentioned before and for people who just want to get into the game of hockey because they love to play it and they love what it is, it's so hard to get into when you when you realize these things in hockey culture that really, really make it an unattractive sport at times to play. And also an unattractive sport for fans to get into. And that's what I've noticed a lot of, uh, when, you see it on Twitter sometimes too, some fans that are of minorities expressing how at times they feel discomfort from the things that they're seeing in the hockey community from both uh, some players and also from the fan bases themselves, it goes both ways. And it's, it's honestly kind of uh, it's, you're both, you're both shocked and disappointed by the kind of things you see once they fully come to the surface. Mm -hmm. And, and like I said, before you continue, I just hope that these class action lawsuits inspire major changes uh, in all areas of hockey, because it's it's one of these things that until serious action is done at all levels, these kind of things, unfortunately, run the risk of potentially continuing to happen. And what you want to do is create an environment where a player feels comfortable speaking out if something happens to them where they feel 
discriminated against or just they had experienced like traumatizing hazing because no player should ever have to go through what Carcillo and Garrett and countless others who have yet come forward yet had to go through. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, going back to uh, the lawsuit, um, like you said, I I don't want to specifically read any of uh, the specific incidents because they are just yeah disgusting and terrible and i don't want to you know trigger anyone or um go that far into detail because a lot of it is is very triggering very um very disgusting things um but and and it's quite scary honestly to think that these things happen behind closed doors that's the scary part that nobody knows about and when you're in a hockey team when you're on a hockey team like that it's very hard to speak out because i'm sure every single player there is trying to work their way up um, so yeah. it's hard to even try to fight back and that's the scary part. So I'm, I'm so glad that this lawsuit is trying to change that. Um, but it is a 46 page statement of, uh, of, of, for the claim. And, uh, if, if you would like to read it, you can, uh, there, there are a number of different articles. I'm looking at one on the CBC that details a, uh, a couple of, uh, instances from the, uh, lawsuit. Um, if you'd like to read more about it, um, you can you can check it uh, out online but uh yeah i mean we since since it's it's just the lawsuit has just um started we don't really have much details but i think we'll leave it at um the point that i think you and i both agree that uh you know we've been talking about hockey culture and the toxicity of it for a long time and we've been slow we've been talking about how it slowly needs to change and how we've been coming up with ways that hopefully it starts to change again. We we've said it starts from, you know, the, the early years of hockey, you know, the, the next generation, you start with the younger generation who eventually grow into that OHL or CHL level generation and then NHL players eventually and starts there. And I think this lawsuit will, um, if anything, definitely hopefully make a statement, bring justice and change things and change how things happen in the CHL. and, And hopefully that, more accountability is taken by not just the players, but also the league. Yep. And uh, before we move on to other topics, uh, if you guys do want to read up further on these stories, or if you just want to catch up for what you missed, uh, we will in the episode description uh, for this podcast, we'll link to said CBC story that Matthew mentioned, as well as a link to Ken Campbell's articles on the hockey news. So you can get up to speed on uh, what's been going on with this story. I'm uh Hoping that uh, some positive changes come forward from this uh, class action lawsuit, uh, and uh, I'll leave it at that. Uh, exactly. Um, with that, we will uh, move on to the next topic, and I'll let you explain this one as well. Um, but uh, there's been some uh, some controversy surrounding uh, Bill Simmons and uh, some of the statements that were made uh, uh, on a podcast last month, and then also the his uh, the Ringer which is his, uh, you know, his uh, sports website um, and uh, the pushback from their union um, against his statement. So, Michael, if you could explain what happened exactly. I'm going to do my best to make it as simple as possible. But the general basis of the story is, first of all, for those of you who don't know, Bill Simmons runs a sports site called The Ringer, and he also runs a podcast called The Bill Simmons Podcast. And uh, he's uh, been well ref rep is well repped uh member of the sports media industry uh his podcast is one of the most popular on uh multiple sporting uh, for, of all sports podcasts uh 
So he is a very big deal. Um, and recent, he's recently come under fire for uh, some, not be, for something that he said, but for the way that his company uh, hires employees. Now, there was a podcast, I'm going to say it was last week at the time of recording, where the guest, I can't remember his name off the top of my it head. Was, so it was a June 1st episode. Yes, yes, okay. Um, Title, A Truly Sad Week in America, and that was highlighting the protests that uh, were happening um, against racism um, yes. during that week. Um, and yeah, the, the podcaster was, uh, the, the guest podcaster was Ryan Russillo. Thank you very much. Ryan. So Ryan Russillo complimented Bill Simmons for, hi, for, his, for his hiring uh, practices. practices. Yeah. Yes. But there has there that immediately came under fire because some members of the Ringer team questioned the validity of that statement. And uh, knowing because they, they're part of the team, they thought that's not true. There's, there's, it's the exact opposite of that. Mm, there, and I don't know there, the exact numbers. Yeah. So out of 65 employees, about 65, okay. there are no black editors or staff writers. And I, I mean, I understand the union got mad at that because, um, I think the compliment specifically was that he, uh, gave that his hiring practices have given opportunities, um, and to a diverse group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, just uh, before I continue, I was trying to reiterate that what I meant to say was I didn't know the numbers. I didn't know the numbers off the top of my head. And thank you for uh, providing them. No worries. Uh, um, just so basically, there's been a lot of backlash for, for Bill Simmons and the Ringer for their hiring practices and the fact that the majority of their staff, at both on on board and covering league sports like the uh, like leagues like the NBA and the NFL, which as we both were both aware are predominantly dominated by black pl- players mm-hmm. and majority of the, the reporters are white. Mm-hmm. So there's been like, he's had to come forward with a statement, Bill Simmons, since this, this controversy has come to the surface and it just really puts into perspective the importance of, of a diverse staff and what, why it's important to have, different uh, perspectives from not only just like the people you interact with, but just based on their, their skin color, ethnicity, background, sexual orient, sexual orientation, all that stuff. And if you are only limiting yourself to specific uh, set of staff, you're really limiting your, uh, your pool and you're potentially missing out on some quality candidates. Mm-hmm. I do want to say, uh, so, uh, Simmons did, uh, Afterwards, he did issue um, some statements on saying that uh, he expects to make uh, personal announcements and he knows that the ringer fell short on diversity and uh, he is going to try to make sure that the company is making progress on the issue. Um, apparently, uh, at a meeting a few days after the episode, he told the staff he was going to make mistakes, but he, that he tried to learn from them. Um, but of course, the staff, I mean, they have every right to be concerned about the comments made. Um, I mean, exactly what you said. It's, it's very important to hire diversely because, I mean, when people make the argument, you know, that the best person has to be hired regardless of their, you know, their race, a lot of the times people or, or a lot of the times employers, 
don't realize the amount of talent that is in, you know, people of that uh, that are in a pool of people of color. Um, and and like you said, exactly, um, the NBA is made up of predominantly black players, and to have to kind of exclude um, media members that are black or people of color, um, it's just it's just not right. Honestly, I, I sit on that and. Even speaking from a personal um, aspect, I mean, you and I, we both, uh, we're, we're both trying to get into sports media, both of us. And uh, for me personally, I mean, as a person of color, even I, I sometimes worry about that. Like, um, definitely, uh, I'm sure I'll, so many people of color in, in the industry are, uh, you know, coming out of school like we are, um, have this have similar concerns that, you know, it's been like this for a long time, but they have not, companies have not been hiring um people of color to the same uh to the same degree as uh you know white people and things like that and 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 i know a lot of companies are taking accountability and trying to improve um but you know we need a lot more improvement and when you see something like this like the ringer a whole uh company or even just when you have simmons um kind of i wouldn't say i mean Again, it, it was comments made by his guest podcaster, but when you get a statement like that, that a company is kind of taking pride in about um, being diverse when they're actually not diverse, it just it just kind of hurts people of color a little more because you know they're they're really they really have to dig deeper for opportunities as opposed to um, you know the the white members of the media and things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, before we can, I just wanted to bring up a quote that uh, Kyle Dubis brought up uh, last two years ago when he hired uh, Haley Wickenheiser and Noel Needham a part to his team. And uh, now, mind you, these are both uh, women, uh, white women, to be more exact. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that even in hockey, hiring a woman is still a very rare thing and something mm-hmm. that doesn't happen very often, just like it, a person of color being hired by sports media industry. And I want to read you this quote because I feel like if you can change some of the words, it applies to everything. I think if you're only hiring white males, and I'm saying that as a white male, you're probably leaving out a, leaving a lot on the table in terms of where your organization is going and how it can think and how it can evolve and develop. develop. This is for referencing a, a, G, a GM of a hockey team, why it's important to have a diverse staff. And I feel like that's what organizations in general, not just sports media outlets and sport teams uh, in North America, but society as a whole should be opening their eyes to different candidates. Because at the end of the day, if you're only limiting yourself to a select few type of people, your options are extremely limited. And I think you're just, like I said earlier, a lot of great candidates are being left to, to find work elsewhere or potentially have to change careers because the field that they really want to be in is not giving them those opportunities. Exactly, exactly. And like you said, uh, the field that we really want to be in or people of color really want to be in, a lot of people are kind of slighted from their um, from their career choice because of the fact that a lot of uh, job opportunities are not being given to them. Um, and, and of course, I mean, I'm not speaking for all people of color, but I mean, just in general, we, we definitely want more job opportunities we don't want to be slighted at the fact that you know um i mean again even if it's subconscious or not we just don't want to be slighted at the fact that 
you know, some companies um, hire more more white people than people of color. Um, but I hundred percent agree, and and you're 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 completely right about the uh, the whole uh, fact that a lot, unfortunately, a lot of uh, people of color, uh, and I've seen it on Twitter, a lot of people have had to kind of give up on their career path because they were just weren't getting career opportunities given to them. I mean, uh, I'm sure we we've we've all heard of a couple of weeks ago the Hal Johnson story of uh, Body Break. Um, um, how he was slighted from uh, this was in the 80s he was slighted from a job as a reporter at TSN because um, you know they just they they at the time they they weren't ready to have a number of black reporters on um, on TV and then also with this idea with body break they didn't um, fully approve of that either um, but you know it's just one example and then like you said uh, Kyle Dubas, I really like how Kyle Dubas is doing it. And, and if we're talking hockey here, um, again, hockey is very much so a, um, a like a white male dominated uh, uh, sport mm-hmm. um, in more ways than one. And uh, any minority, whether it be women or people of color, um, they just need to have more opportunities given to them. Absolutely. And I think that uh, is the main takeaway point from this Bill Simmons controversy that uh, I hope that more media outlets go f- going forward open their eyes to more candidates and uh, provide themselves with uh, the opportunity to hire more people of color, and not just simply to meet uh, public quota, but because they are worthy candidates and can help the company in the right direction. And this goes forth with sports, media outlets, sports media outlets, you name it. Mm-hmm. I think it's very important, like to re- just to repeat myself for the final time and before we move on, that you just give yourself these uh, options available. Because if you don't, like I said, I keep repeating myself here. I know I am, but a lot of great candidates get left to fend for themselves, and unfortunately for them, they feel slighted in their pursuit of their dreams. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that needs to change. Exactly. That's exactly how I feel. Um, with that, I think we'll take a break. And then we'll get on to our uh, 2016 NHL redraft and fan questions afterwards. So uh, let's take a quick break now. After a short break, we are prepared and ready to redo the 2016 NHL draft. And Mm -hmm. that was the draft that we have very fond memories over because of a particular player on the Toronto Maple Leafs that got drafted on that particular day. For sure. I mean, I, it's so vivid for me. Like I was, uh, I think I was a senior in high school. That was my last year. Um, and of course we're both Leafs fans. So, uh, I mean, I was pulling for the Toronto Maple Leafs to obviously get the first overall pick. This is in the draft lottery, and they got it. And then from then on, like, I remember I was already about to order, like, a Matthews jersey. I mean, everyone knew he was going first overall at the time. Oh, yeah. But fond, fond memories. It was great. Absolutely. I, I have very, very good memories of watching that uh, draft lottery, too, getting so excited. Uh, watching a Steve Dangles video in reaction to it. And then actually seeing it become a reality, because... Uh, you know, as a Leaf fan, you always have in the back of your mind that seed of doubt is that something's are Leafs actually go going wrong. to do it, or are they going to drop <laughs> the wrong player? But or uh, that they'll they, drop from first to fourth. I mean, oh yeah, 
I do want to talk about that after. We'll talk about that right after the draft lottery. But uh, let's just go right into the draft. I, uh, you have the first overall pick in this week's one, in this week's edition. And for anyone who hasn't listened to the last few episodes, uh, as always, we're always welcoming new listeners, of course. Um, we've been doing uh, the last, uh, well, not the last draft, but from 2010 to 2017, we've been redrafting the NHL entry drafts, um, just the top 10 uh, of each draft. And we've been doing uh, back and forth. So one of us will get the first pick and then so on. Uh, yep. So Michael here will have the first pick in this in today's draft. And then I'll have the second pick and we'll go. We'll alternate from there. But Michael, you have the first overall pick. And I have a feeling I know who you're going to pick anyways. Um, but how about you make it official? Okay. So in 2016, Austin Matthews went first overall. And in tw- this redraft, Austin Matthews, Drops down. I'm kidding. He goes first. <laughs> I was almost going to say, if you actually went through with it, I was going to say, man, <laughs> whatever. That's a steal for me, boy. <laughs> I was in our final graphic that we post on Twitter. Someone's not going to, wouldn't like that. <laughs> oh, of course not. Yeah, no. Austin Matthews is going first. Uh, for sure. hundred percent. I mean, uh, what's, what's there to say about Matthews? He's easily been the best player in uh, this draft class. Of course, this is as we kind of, wind down to the last few drafts in our uh redraft um in our redraft uh segments i guess uh or series um of course it's harder to tell which players are you know or it's too early to tell which players will you know are where because it's so recent but austin matthews won the calder um uh trophy for the rookie of the year and ever since then he's he, i mean he's honestly been the best player i mean it used to be between him and Patrick Laine, but Patrick Laine took a step back. Um, it's. It, I just want to say, it, it was a, just doing my research for this draft, it is a very strong draft class, but Austin Matthews definitely stands above the rest. Now, before we do move on to the second overall pick, I just want to reiterate, how crazy is that that there is a Leaf player drafted first overall and has continued to live up to the expectations? Like, it's so rare for a high leaf draft pick to live up to the expectations that fans have been given upon them. We've been so used to the likes of Luke Shen being drafted highly and everyone was expecting him to do great things. And then his career has made him become a journeyman. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of things we've been dealing with for like the last, what, 20, 30 years between Wendell Clark and uh, this moment here. So just the fact that the Leafs have a homegrown talent, at least from uh, drafting drafting purposes, and that player has uh, proven to have a good career so far. I, I, I still, it still doesn't feel real. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to uh, state off some uh, stats from uh, for Austin Matthews, I'm sure everyone pretty much has his, his his stats tattooed in the back of their mind. But I mean, we know he's a consistent 40 goal scorer. Scored 40 in his rookie year. Scored 47 this year. Um, other than his rookie year, which that was the first uh, season and only season he's uh, played all 82 games, but he still put up 69 points in that rookie season. Ever since then, nice. he's averaged over a point per game. And uh, I mean, this season was his best season so far. Um, unfortunately, it was cut a little bit short, but uh, he put up 47 goals again and, and 80 points. Um, so he is developing into, I mean, he is already, I would say a superstar, but he is developing and climbing, climbing the ranks in the top players in the league i'm just really excited to see what the future holds for him because it's if this is what the the start looks like i can't imagine what he's gonna look like in five years down the line 100%. but uh 
what who are you going to take number two i'd imagine this is either going to be very easy or uh slightly challenging it's pretty easy for me especially when i looked into kind of the whole draft it it was pretty uh it was it became a pretty solid decision but um another player that i am very interested in seeing how his career pans out um with the second pick i'm going to take uh patrick line who stays at number two from the original draft um and yeah i mean when uh when the jets first selected him i mean honestly there was a point where he was making a case for first overall and everyone said he has uh i mean he did he displayed um you know ovechkin like goal scoring abilities and uh in his first year he certainly lived up to the hype um like right off the bat he was up for the calder uh, alongside austin matthews and i mean his rookie season he scored 36 goals that's right behind austin matthews um in goal scoring and then in a second season as well he scored 44 goals 70 points uh so he's definitely a bonafide goal scorer but as we've seen in his last two seasons, he's kind of taken a step back, especially last season. Only 50 points last season uh, and 30 goals. And this season, he's only scored 28 goals, but he still put up 63 points. So nearly a point going, getting back to his point per game pace. Um, yeah. Again, this is a very recent draft, so it's still very early to say. Um, like I said, it used to be very close, you know, Matthews versus Line A. And now Matthews has kind of taken the bigger step forward, or should I say Line has taken a step backwards slightly. But um, again, it's early. They've only they're only four seasons into their career, um, into their career. So I really want to see what Patrick Line can uh, do in this league because I definitely the talent is still there. He's just figuring oh, it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, he showed yeah. it in his first two seasons for sure. I really am excited to see what the future holds for him too. Uh, but I was definitely like with you in that uh, his third season was uh, definitely has the potential to either be an anomaly or maybe just the start of a somewhat of a decline. Because there was a game like early in the 2018-19 season where he scored five goals on the eventual champion Blues and then went on to struggle for uh, weeks like didn't he score only like one goal for like an entire he needs to he needs to focus on consistency yeah absolutely but uh i mean just the fact that uh he's been a pretty much a consistent 30 goal scorer throughout his career so far and nearly hit that mark just prior to the pause uh i think it's safe to say that line a being picked number two was the right choice for the jets and although he uh had potential to be the first overall pick I think uh, Jets fans are not going to complain too much about uh, taking line a second. Mm-hmm. Now uh, let's keep this let's keep this moving. Uh, uh, again, we are going to offer a little uh, analysis here and there for players, but I think we need to keep yeah, uh, yeah. going overall. But good good stuff for the first two picks. So you're up with the with the third pick. This is going to be the first jump in the draft. Uh, this is actually one of my favorite players uh, on teams outside of the Leafs, and uh, I not going to delay it any further. Matthew Kachuk. That's exactly why I had a third in. I mean, what's what's what else is there to say? I mean, he's honestly grown into a great player for the Flames. Um, I mean, quickly, I mean, he's he's put up, you know, last season he's put up 77 points, 34 goals, and this season he put up 61 points. So he's really developed into a star player for the Flames. Um, and, yeah, I, I'm excited to see how he develops even more. I, I think uh, his last, last season, uh, 2018-19, uh, when he broke out for the first time, it was really impressive to see because – he was going. He was on track to be like a consistent fifty-point getter, 
And it looked like it was going to be a decent pick for the Flames around the sixth overall selection. But uh, the fact that he's really exploded his production and become uh, a pest, like a really good pest at that, uh, the kind of like that that we've seen with uh, Brad Marchand, mm-hmm. Brendan Gallagher, and so many other players. The player uh, that every team wants to have on their team but hates to play against. Yeah. And what's crazy, too, is that this season, with the likes of Johnny Goudreau on the roster, Magic and Chuck led the team in scoring. Mm-hmm. That's that's a very impressive turnaround, if I say so myself. And he played one less game than Goudreau, too. So I think it's safe to say that the Flames are really happy with this pick. For sure. So, uh... With my uh, fourth pick now, I think we might see the biggest rise in uh, in spots here, possibly. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to take uh, Alex DeBrinkett. It's nice. I had um, him at fourth as well. Yeah, from the uh, Chicago Blackhawks, of course. Um, I mean, a lot of Leafs fans uh, are kind of... Uh, I think they might want to look away or... or you know, mute, mute, or mute the next few <laughs> seconds of our podcast. But, <laughs> um, yeah, he fell to the uh, second round, of course. Um, that was the time when, uh, you know, size still mattered a lot. Or I mean, I think around that time, uh, teams were starting to realize that, you know, smaller skilled players are very valuable. But it was a slow g- increase to what, where we are today. But, uh yeah, I mean, he was uh, he kind of dropped in his uh, rankings that year for uh, for his size. Uh, he's he's obviously one of the smaller players, but I mean, he he was a you know a bona fide fifty goal scorer in uh, in juniors with Erie, where he played alongside Connor McDavid. Um, he he put even after McDavid left, he was putting up fifty one goals, fifty one goals, sixty five goals. Like that's insane. Um, and he still dropped in his draft year. He put up 127 points, 50 or uh, 65 goals, um, and he still dropped that that late. Um, it was a steal for the Chicago Blackhawks, and he showed he showed everyone that you know he could back it up because last mm-hmm. season um, he put up 41 goals and 76 points. And um, whether that's an outlier or not, uh, we'll we'll have to see. But even this season, he might he might have taken a step back, but he's still been very productive for again a Chicago team that's kind of on the decline um but he's one of their I'd honestly say probably their brightest young star and uh he had 45 points this season so that's good all I want to say about Debrinkhead is like obviously what has been said about him that hasn't been said he's been the biggest steal of the draft so far but how many times are we going to see undersized players being passed on and then seeing said players uh explode offensively before we realize that uh, you should just def- just draft players and scout them just based solely on their abilities and not uh, overlook their uh, size, because wh- I think it was what was it last week uh, or two weeks ago? One of our one of our high picks uh, that made a big jump was Brain Point, and just like Debrinkhead, uh, he's a smaller player, and uh, that's why he fell so far. But he's ended up having a great career so far. So mm-hmm. I just hope that G- GMs and scouts. Uh, just stop with this uh, idea that uh, small players don't work and that it's all about big, muscular guys. Small players can play, and we've seen so many players like this. Mm-hmm. And uh, sorry, I just want to reiterate, I, mean, I did make a slight mistake when reading off his stats. It was his draft plus one year that he scored 127 uh, points, but in his draft year, he still scored 51 goals and 101 points. So that's not like, he was arguably one of the, highest producing uh best best forwards in in uh, junior hockey when he was in his draft year 
and uh, the fact that he fell um, simply because of his size. Um, I, I mean, I know there could be other issues that teams saw in him, but definitely a steal for the Blackhawks. Absolutely. Uh, now let's move on to the fifth overall pick, and uh, this is going to this one player dropped a bit, but uh, I think he's de- definitely uh, made the Blue Jackets uh, happy with their pick, and uh, I pretty much gave it away, so I'll just say it: Pierre Luc Dubois. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when Pierre Luc Dubois was chosen; he was kind of a. Uh, I think he he went a little higher than he was actually ranked in the draft, um, because I remember Jesse Pugliarvi was supposed to be taken third. Um, in all the mock drafts, everyone saw it coming. And I remember everyone considered Edmonton getting the steal with Pugliarvi um, because Columbus ended up taking Dubois. But I mean, in hindsight, Columbus made a great decision because Pierre-Luc Dubois has developed into a great center for uh, the Blue Jackets. And at the time, they needed a center as well. So it really worked out for them. Absolutely. And what I like about Dubois is that he has good size. And uh, I think what Blue Jackets fans have come to love about him is his two-way game. And mm-hmm. what kind of play do I think of when I think of a center that has a great two-way game? Uh, P- uh, Bergeron. Sorry, I had I some for some reason struggled to remember his name, but uh, that's what I think of when I think of uh, Dubois, like mm-hmm. the next Bergeron, even though he's bigger than Bergeron. And I think that that's a great thing to have a player that could be a reliable center at both ends of the ice, potentially a candidate to win the Selkie Trophy one day. That's a good pick at third overall. Even though that was a bit of a jump at the time, people thought that was a bit sketchy. I mean, I in hindsight, it looks great. Yeah. Considering oh, yeah, that, that's... you know, Jesse Pugliarvi was the one who was supposed to go there, and now it's looking like, I mean, let's be real, Jesse Pugliarvi is probably not going to be <laughs> drafted anywhere near our redraft right now. I don't think so, and that's unfortunate because of the situation that he was in, but uh, let it be known before we move on to the uh, sixth pick that uh, – Pugliarvi still has potential to have a good career. It's just unfortunate the way things have mm-hmm. gone on for him in Edmonton. And again, our redraft is not any official ranking for how we think these players will do in their career. Um, it's very, it's a very recent draft, so it's still very, very young in their careers. And that's why we're stopping our series at the 2017 draft because we yep. feel like the 2018 and 2019 drafts are still way too soon to tell. But yep. yeah. Um, so with my sixth... Uh, overall pick i'm going to be taking a defenseman here and i'm going to take uh charlie mcavoy from the boston bruins nice mm-hmm. i had him at six too this is actually looking very similar to it looks exact right now our redraft is exactly how i had my rankings <laughs> pretty good but uh mcavoy is honestly just a solid defenseman for the boston bruins he's the type of defenseman you would love to have on your team simply put i mean I mean, like, if you want to go off stats, he's also been a consistent 30-point scorer. And for a defenseman, that's a that's very solid point production. But what he does in the defensive end is something that, you know, um, that his game is just what teams want on their blue line to hold down the blue line. Uh, yeah, he definitely played really well last season during the playoffs. Uh, this season was a bit of a struggle for him offensively. I know that uh, it took him almost half the year to get his first goal of the season. But once he did... Uh, his production really took off. I know this because uh, I draft picked him up on my fantasy team nice. this season, <laughs> and uh, he was a good pick, like under the radar. For some reason, he was left uh, alone. But uh, let it be known that Charlie McAvoy is going to be a great defenseman for the Bruins for years to come. Mm-hmm. He was a, a good pickup uh, in the mid first round, and uh, 
like that's a great uh, that's good development and also just the just speaks to how well the Bruins have been retooling their roster in spite mm-hmm. of the fact that uh, their their 2011 cup is now almost nine eight like nine years ago they're still in contention for the cup that just speaks like as a Leaf fan you hate to see it but at the same time you got to respect it yeah for sure um let's keep this going so now uh I think the last the last few picks we need to keep him a little more concise but yes you have number seven Okay, this I don't know if this is going to match what you have on your draft list, but uh, this one's going to be another jump. Uh, but Mikhail Sergachev. Nice. So uh, not exactly how my uh, board was, but he was actually right next on my on my board. So that's okay. okay. And uh, again, Sergachev uh, drafted by Montreal and then uh, flipped to the Tampa Bay Lightning right after for Jonathan Drew and uh, pretty much less than a, a year later about a year later um and yeah he's just been a solid uh a solid defenseman for the Tampa lightning and again a young uh a young player that is able to keep the lightning you know um just just keep them stacked honestly like what a pickup yeah when you get oh, a young yeah. player that, that that can play like he does like a solid nhler um you always want to keep them on your team and uh he's been uh you know a solid 30 point scorer as well um, and that's all I have to really say about him, but he's been a great okay. defenseman. Absolutely. Just very quickly before we move on to the next pick, do you think that's a, that's a trade Montreal will regret down the line? I honestly do think so. Uh, I feel like that's it's one of those trades where it's like why people say, you know, you don't trade prospects so early because you don't know what's going to come about them. And I, I mean, Montreal's Jonathan Drew, and he's he's been good for for Montreal, but Sergachev, like you could have waited on them on him more, you know. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And uh, I, I know Drew's going to have a fine career, but uh, I just think there's something to be said about Sergeyev's career so far that uh, has me very impressed with mm-hmm. uh, his development so far. But uh, number eight. So with number eight, I'm going to take who I had at seventh on my board, and that is uh, Clayton Keller. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, Clayton Keller has been, uh, you know, very effective for the uh, Arizona Coyotes. Again, an all-star forward uh he's uh developed into and uh i mean he's kind of taken a step back uh from his rookie season but still you know he has the talent in him to you know put up maybe uh another 60 point season uh very soon you know what's funny clayton keller gets severely underrated by a lot of hockey fans i feel like not enough people give him the respect that he's he deserves because so far he's had a good career Mm-hmm. But I think maybe it's because of the market that he's in. It's unfortunate that this happens to a lot of players, such as Sebastian Ajo. But uh, I hope that uh, the Coyotes become a consistent uh, playoff team in the near future so fans uh, around the around the league get to see how good of a player he really is. Oh, for sure. Um, so you're up next? Yes. Uh, number nine. This is might be a little bit of a stretch if you think about it, but actually not really because he's been really good for the Avalanche, and that's going to be Samuel Girard. Samuel Gerard, great pick, honestly. Um, he's he's been he's been great. I mean, uh, a, a solid a solid player for the Avalanche, uh, and and honestly, uh, a a really credible jump here. Hmm. Uh, yes, uh, according to the list I'm looking at here, he was drafted 47. He was 47. So I guess he just stole the title of uh, biggest jump. But yeah, he, he for course. sure has been a steal. He's been a a regular uh nhler and uh he's i mean he put up arguably his best season this season th- scoring 30 points uh in 70 games 
You know, it's crazy. The Avalanche in recent years have been doing really well with trades. And I think picking up Samuel Gerrard is one of the more underrated pickups for them because he's been really good for them, especially this past season. So good job, Joe Sackick, on unearthing uh, unrecognized mm-hmm. talents. Yeah, he was drafted first by the uh, Nashville Predators. But again, when you st- you know, when you trade for, for some prospects, you know, they can uh, they have a lot of upside a lot of the time. Of course. And uh, last but not least, the number 10 pick. So... Uh... So this one's hard for me with my 10th pick. I was debating between two more players, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to I'm gonna go with, uh, since we don't have a goalie in this yet, uh, I'm going to go with Ooh. Carter Hart. Ooh, mm-hmm. that's interesting. Interesting. I didn't have him at number 10. I'm going to be honest. I wasn't really thinking about him, but you, you know what? That's a good pick. That's a good pick. Uh, I'm going to mention who I honestly, when you guys go, I know... The, the sucky thing is that when people see our graphic that we tweet out, that's when people, you know, base their opinions off of our ranking. But let me explain myself. Um, I'll just get my honorable mention out of the way here too. Uh, it was between him and uh, Jacob Chikrin, um, for me. Uh, but I went with Carter Hart. I mean, what he's been doing for the Flyers, we've seen the Flyers kind of completely turn around the last, uh, honestly, the last season. Um, and he is a big part of that. Ever since he stepped in the league, he's been a very effective goaltender. Um, and I mean, what, since when do we get a goalie, you know, that young step into the league and, and be that solid, you know? He's had a winning it's record great. for both his, both his seasons. I mean, uh, last season he put up 31. Uh, I mean, he put up 16 wins. And, and this season put up 24. And he, um, he hasn't, you know, he hasn't had a losing record yet. And... Uh, He's really like we've seen the turnaround of the Philadelphia Flyers, and you cannot tell me a big part is not because they found they finally found a solid goaltender yep. in Carter Hart. Finally, that's exactly it. Mm-hmm. It's it's been years since the Flyers had a stable force on their blue on mm-hmm. in their crease. So this is hopefully this the fine finally the goalie that they've been looking for. And like I and said, you never you never want to rush a goalie, right? And yeah. some might say he was rushed a little bit early. I mean, what? He started when he was like, what, like 20 uh, in the mm-hmm. NHL? That's super early for a goalie. Um, but he stepped in, and, and he stepped in with authority, and and he looked good. And Absolutely. That could, you know, some people might think rushing him could hurt his career, but maybe he's showing that it actually helped him because look at that experience he just got. And now he's already a regular NHL goaltender, a starting goaltender. Yeah, shout out to him because he really helped my fantasy team this year. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I just had to bring that up. Uh, mm-hmm. But before we move on to uh, fans' questions, uh, you definitely you mentioned Chikrin as an honorable mention. Mm-hmm. I definitely was considering him. A few players that uh, I was also considering at the number 10 were uh, Jesper Bratt of the Devils and uh, Adam Fox for the uh, mm-hmm. Rangers, Fox. but he's got the Flames. I also had uh, Dante Fabro and Jordan Cairo. As uh, a couple um, honorable mentions, also just looking through the names here, Luke Kunin, um, you know, uh, Jake Bean, um, a lot of good names here. I know it's uh, Sam Steele. That's also yeah. someone I had up there. Um, Korshkov on the Leafs side. Of um, course. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, there's this, this draft, again, it's very early. So a lot of these players are going to make their uh debuts soon possibly um 
but already it's looking like a very uh, solid draft. And uh, again, Chikorin, uh, I mean, I was debating picking Chikorin because he's been, honestly, he stepped in, didn't he immediately stepped in as the 16th overall pick. He immediately stepped in uh, that season for the Arizona Coyotes immediately. And he became a regular NHLer. And he was, I mean, again, that's a pretty big jump for a 16, I mean, uh, yeah. 16th overall 18 year old to jump into. And he's, you know, he's, he's been solid on their blue line, a mainstay on their blue line. And, uh, again, uh, when you mentioned it about, uh, Keller, um, that possibly he's underrated because of the market he plays in, maybe that's why, I mean, maybe we, a lot of people don't get to see how good he is. Uh, but the fact that he's been, you know, progressing and has been, you know, a solid top four defenseman for them. Um, I mean, I have to give praise for that. Of course, yes. And before we move on, I just want to quickly mention, of course, Puliyarvi. Great pick. Uh, unfortunate situation for him, but I think he's got a bright future ahead if all things work out. And of course, Alex Nylander and Victor Mete. And mm-hmm. that's our pick for the uh, 2016 draft. Uh, let us know if how uh, right we are or how far off we were. <laughs> but uh, your feedback is very much appreciated. And next week is the last one of our uh, mm-hmm. series with the NHL. But... uh don't fret because uh, right after we're going to be doing the series again from 2010 to 2017, except with the NBA drafts. So that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to that mm-hmm. too. And uh, I know we wanted to keep this episode concise, but I do want to talk about one more thing. Uh, yes. so it's fine. <laughs> but the, the draft lottery, we have to talk about the draft lottery. Yes, we, we have do. to. So first I'll get it right off. Uh, the two things that are on everyone's mind, I'm sorry, but I know Detroit got screwed, but I mean, that's, I guess that's just how, that's just how it happens. I mean, it's happened the last few years, you know, Colorado dropped from one to four and to Detroit Red Wings fans, um, you, you honestly fourth, a lot of great players have been chosen at number four. I mean, look at Mitch Marner. I mean, look at Stevie Y, Steve Eiserman, yeah. um, fourth overall pick. I'm, I'm sure you like Red Wings fans would not regret that pick. Um, so you know, I, I know it's sad to drop from one to four, but if anything, I know a lot of people are saying, oh, the uh, the NHL hates the Red Wings, things like that. And uh, shout out to uh, uh, the hockey guy. He's the, the, the YouTuber. I'm sure you've yeah. seen his videos. He made one about why the NHL hates all its teams. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm just laughing like, at that. Title. I mean, let's be real. I know it sucks and it seems like the NHL hates your team, but... Um, that's the point of the draft lottery, right? You just never know what can happen. And look at that. My second point, a play in team one. One of the qualifying round teams have won the, the pick and it possibly could be the Leafs. Who knows? Um, it could be any of those teams uh, that that lose that first uh, play in round. But um, it's, it's just crazy. But what were your thoughts just immediately? I just want a quick thoughts. Okay, first of all, I was laughing once I heard the news. <laughs> I couldn't go. I was just shocked that that's something that could happen. You always think that something like that could potentially happen. I remember we yeah. were we were streaming the night before with uh, Omar and Juno, and Omar was like, shout out Tic Tac Omar. He was like, he just wants absolute craziness to happen. He wants at least <laughs> one of, he wants the first pick to go to a plan team, or at least one of them. And uh, he got his wish, and chaos ensued. Chaos honestly well, ensued. The backlash well, I saw on Twitter was crazy. <laughs> well, Omar, you got your wish. I hope you're happy. <laughs> I'm sorry. But, but uh, uh, yeah. Okay, I want to ask you something before we get to the questions. Who would be, what would be the funniest team to end up winning the first overall pick? Because there are a few, and people have already mentioned it, but I'm curious what you, ha- what you think. 
funny as in like like annoying funny like i mean it would be funny but it would also make pretty much everyone cry if you know the pittsburgh penguins or the edmonton oilers won it again (laughs) or even the toronto maple Leafs. i mean i'll agree with the fact i mean toronto maple Leafs fans would love to add lafreniere i mean could you imagine getting a i mean i i don't even want to open up trade rumors but that does uh that does make it super easy to trade another winger for a defenseman because where else can you get a a a star forward for a minimum cap hit right Uh um but let's i mean realistically he should be going to a uh you know a team that needs him not a stock team right Mm -hmm. um but what can we do that's how uh this is how the nhl has decided to go about for this year this is I mean, I know a lot of people are saying it's not fair, but given the circumstances, I would say, I guess, you know, they didn't have much of a choice. This is one of the more fair systems that they can come up with. And that's just yeah. how the draft lottery balls have uh, played out. Yeah. I just want to reiterate that what would be funnier? Well, I don't know what could be funnier. The Arizona Coyotes winning because they have Taylor Hall. Oh, I was going to say that. <laughs> lottery luck, or someone we don't expect winning it, which would be even funnier. Because I think that everyone's expecting it to be the Oilers, the Penguins, the Blackhawks, the Leafs. When it could be even funnier when it's someone like completely out of left field. Like, oh my goodness, how did we not see that coming? I mean, I wouldn't mind it being, uh, you know, a team who's never gotten like first overall. Um, you know, someone like, like let's say like Minnesota, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I saw a few people say that would be one of the more boring, <laughs> more boring destinations for him to land. But I mean, hey, I mean, maybe if anything, give it to the teams who, who, who are actually in need of a player like that, right? Even if they're in the play in a playoff spot, Montreal. I, I'm not. I'm. I'm gonna admit, like, it would be quite the story if he went to Montreal, right? Uh, we know Montreal has not had a first pick in so long, in decades, and, um, I mean, what what's better if they can get a homegrown hometown, you know, like, from the air from Quebec uh player right star player to lead the team and I'll, I'll i'll give it to the habs i know habs fans have been wanting them to tank or you know at least get a good draft pick and they've been they've been keeping competitive um and maybe the balls somehow even though they've messed up their tank somehow uh rolled in their favor absolutely i'll leave it at this what i like about this draft lottery result is that there's now a lot of intrigue with the play-in rounds and I think that if there's one thing that could make people interested in watching it is that intrigue of should the team really go for it or just lose out on the chance of drafting Lafreniere. I just love chaos. This is fun. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you one more question before we move on. Uh, I'm sorry about this episode going longer than we expected again, <laughs> but this I just took in. This is a very important topic we have to discuss. But no, no, of course. Would you rather have the Toronto Maple Leafs win or... <laughs> lose to get that one in eight chance of getting Lafreniere or let's remember the Toronto Maple Leafs um their 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 draft pick is actually with the Carolina Hurricanes unless it's a top 10 pick and there's only two spots left for it to be actually there's three spots if you're counting 10 so there's one there's um nine and there's 10 left and if the Toronto Maple Leafs don't win one of those three spots then it's not even their pick right yeah um but of course, everyone wants the number one pick. But there's only a one in eight chance of getting that, even if you are eliminated in the first round. 
So is it really worth losing to get to, you know, have that one in eight chance or I guess you could say three in eight chance, I guess, of even getting to keep the draft pick? Yeah. You know, it's actually funny. This is the exact dilemma I posted on Twitter right on the day that this happened, which is hilarious because I didn't you never really think about which scenario you would actually want. Um, if it were me, I would just go into the playing rounds with no expectations of what's going to happen because I do not want to go there thinking, oh, for sure the Leafs are going to lose and get Lafreniere or for sure they're going to win and go all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. I just hope that they just play. I think the best scenario for me is they play a good, they play as best as they can, and uh, but lose out in the play-in round, and then get Lafreniere for their effort because that'd be a silver lining. But I think we can all agree that a Stanley Cup would be a lot better than continuing to drop players. Mm-hmm. Right? I see a I lot of people that. saying, "Hey, I mean, it's the you know, it's the big asterisk." asterisk uh cup here that everyone's playing for that people don't want them to win because you know it's 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 you know there's always going to be the conditions to this uh this wacky season here but no you gotta i know the players want to win naturally and you gotta want your team to win so i think the trauma Maple Leafs, it's a one in eight chance of getting first of all don't risk it just play um just try to win try to use this uh this this year's uh playoffs to, to boost that confidence or anything just win one one or two rounds in the playoffs um, exactly. and if anything if the Toronto Maple Leafs lose at least Leafs fans won't be as disappointed as they've been because they have one more thing to look forward to exactly yes and that's I think the main takeaway for all of this mm-hmm. now we have three questions this week uh so thank you everybody for mm-hmm. uh, sending in your we questions we want to go through them a little a little quicker yes uh, but yes. yeah okay i'm gonna first start off with mark from uh, it's luxty he's one of our uh co-workers at editor and leaf he asked us a few questions first where were you when Tavares signed so um i mean i'll just go right off the bat um i actually don't remember exactly where i was but i know i was out i was not home but um i mean i was basically following along on twitter um i was yeah. on the go following along on twitter seeing all the rumors things like that um was it i forget was it maple leaf's hot stove who like did who basically tweeted it out early yeah. um and people i mean i mean maple leaf hot stove uh, shout out them uh, a great site but they're they're not known to be breaking news like that right so yeah. people took it with a grain of salt but it ended up being correct and pretty much the exact details but um i remember I, I, every I, I mean during that time everyone has the the notifications on for you know bob mckenzie ellie friedman uh everyone right and when i when i got the notification ellie friedman tweeted you know Tavares to toronto uh <laughs> i don't even know i was like so excited <laughs> Oh, I remember. I remember this very vividly in the back of my in my memory. I was uh, at work at Fan Five Ninety. This was back during my internship. Oh, that would be great. And the, the office was going nuts when uh, news was circulating that Tavares was potentially going to sign. And I remember there's so many screams because obviously this is Toronto, and there's a lot of Leaf fans working there. And I was freaking out too. Like they 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 teach you to try and keep keep your cool and just act professional as best you can. But I think a lot of people were were more than happy to break the rules that day, which was, uh, and I didn't mind either because how can you how can you not something like mm. that does not happen very often. Yeah, it, for sure, 
arguably the biggest signing in free agent in NHL free agent history. Um, Absolutely. But yeah. Uh, next question. Thoughts on the hub cities. Thoughts on the hub hub cities. So we didn't get to this. Uh, we didn't get to this uh, yet. But uh, definitely, we we want to save it for now. But uh, definitely. Yeah. So, if you haven't heard the news so far, or the reports are, is that Toronto and Edmonton have been selected as the hub cities for the NHL. And uh, honestly, uh, first I want to say, I mean, we all saw it coming that once once the cases, the COVID cases, started spiking in in Vegas, that the NHL showed interest in moving them to Canadian cities. Um, and of course. Uh, We've spoken about this on the last few episodes, but we preferred Canadian cities because it would have been safer. And, and I believe, I think last season we even talked about, I mean, last episode we even talked about um, Vancouver. We were hoping it could be Vancouver and Edmonton um, out of the remaining choices. We didn't really want it here in Toronto because Toronto is a, uh, I mean, in Canada, it's the biggest hub for COVID cases right now. But we could see why the NHL wanted to choose Toronto. Of course, a lot of facilities here in the GTA, um, a lot of hotel space, things like that. But so, I mean, we kind of saw it coming with Toronto, but great, um, great, great choice uh, for Edmonton. I, I like the yeah. choice there. I'll make it very brief uh, as fast as I possibly can. What works for Edmonton is that there's a hotel literally connected to the Oilers uh, arena. And there's also a Rexall place not too far away. So there's at least two places where teams can play and potentially many more practice facilities. But for Toronto, there's obviously the hotels. There's the Scotiabank Arena. But then there was more than just that. You could have games being played at like Coca-Cola Coliseum. Mm-hmm. Up the road is the old Maple Leaf Gardens, and there's an NHL-sized rink there. The Leafs practiced there a few years ago. They can go there. And if you want to have even more games played, take some of them to Mississauga. The Hearst, is it the Hershey Center still? Um, it's not, but I forgot the name. I forgot okay. the name. It's where the uh, Raptors 905 as well play. Okay. I looked it up. It's the Paramount Fine Food Center. Yes, yes, that's it. Okay. Um, again, yeah. yeah, but I mean, point is there's a lot of uh, OHL facilities, um, even minor hockey facilities here. Um, just for it, it, Toronto, of course, is a hockey city, so there's a lot for, for players. All right. When you put it that way, that's why they picked mm-hmm. it. So, uh, next question. Okay. This one is going to be coming from Mur at Mur Allow. Shout to her. She's uh she's a great follow on Twitter. If you haven't followed her already, she asked two questions. First one: Do you think the players are purposely leaking their wariness about returning to play with the hope that they'll garner fan support for canceling the season? So uh, that's a, a kind of long question. So uh, I'll, let you, <laughs> I'll let you go first, though, while I digest it. Okay. Now, I've been thinking about this question a bit since I first saw it. And honestly, I think it just comes down to whether or not the player feels comfortable playing. Because that's what it really should be. for Not just hockey, but in sports league in general. If they really want to play, they, they, they're more than welcome to. But if they don't, then they should not feel pressured into playing. I think whatever their decision is should be should be theirs and theirs only, and people should uh, not feel should not judge them on it, because in the situation that we're currently in, I think it's understandable if a player doesn't want to play. But uh, again, that's not to us to decide. That's up to them. Mm-hmm. I I agree with that fact. I mean, like we always said, the player's safety 
comes first, right? And I mean, we've said this on pretty much every episode so far, uh, but since they've started this return to play initiative, but player safety comes first and we wouldn't be mad if they ended up canceling the season, right? Because we want mm-hmm. the players to be safe first and foremost. But um, I don't think they're purposely leaking their wariness, but players are definitely, ha- they have every right to speak out against, I mean, let's be real, it's speaking out against unsafe work environments or their concerns over unsafe work environments, right? It's their work, mm-hmm. it's their job, it's their life. And um, I wouldn't say they're purposely leaking it, but I mean, I definitely think they want to, I mean, exactly what they're doing is they want to voice their concern and they want, and they want people listen in the, I mean, essentially that is it. They want people to listen and I'm glad the fans are, are taking their side as well. And ultimately it does, it is up to the NHL and it's also up to the players to want to participate. And I think we talked about this last, last episode as well about how, Mm The difference between NHL and NBA, we've seen NBA players step up and say they don't want to play. I, Victor Oladipo today um, yeah. said that he does he's not going to take part in the return to play. I mean, that's a star player that's not going to be playing, right? How does this affect the tournament? People are going to put an asterisk beside it, but that doesn't matter. Hockey players have exactly the same right. The only difference is, as we've spoken about before, hockey players and hockey culture, again, has less of an outspoken culture or hockey players feel like they need to be there to play uh they need to just you know give up the body things like that is always associated with hockey um i think we should normalize the fact that players have concerns of for their safety and they should be able to step uh, away from it if they want to absolutely i think that's uh really all there is to it and uh if if fans are mad that the players are going to step away they should understand that this is their right and the situation that we're in warrants that so i don't think there's any more to it than that now here's another quick question from uh Mer. she asked what's your favorite toronto pizza place uh honestly uh i'll list off my well i don't have many but like first uh not pizza pizza i know everyone of course. doesn't like pizza pizza i know there are people who love pizza pizza but pizza pizza is a dipping sauce place <laughs> that, i'll yeah, leave it at yeah. that but done. my favorite okay my favorite like big franchise pizza not even just toronto when when you say toronto pizza place like i think like smaller or like not like mainstream as much um but my favorite pizza in general like even fast food kind of pizza is little caesars yeah, that's um, good but i think more specific is blaze pizza and i know that's also a franchise but it's not as big as like you know pizza pizza uh, pizza Hut, Little Caesars, but Blaze Pizza. I love Blaze Pizza. Yeah, Blaze Pizza is uh, really good. I remember having that a lot during my uh, undergrad, and because there was a, mm-hmm. uh, you know this very well. The one at, a, at Young and Dundas Square. Shout out to uh, that place. Uh-huh. There, there needs to be cream pizza, man. I haven't had that in a while. I wouldn't mind ha- picking it up again one of these days. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite? Okay, there are a few off the top of my head that are nearby there's one that's slipping my memory uh but i'll get to it once i find it first of all pizza libretto there's a couple locations in downtown toronto it's really really good i it's one of my favorite places to go and get pizza uh another one is goodfellas which is uh, about five minutes away from my house 
we've had we've had it a few times. It's good ratings. Definitely recommend that. Uh, it's uh it's near Jane and Blur, by the way, if you're any of you who are wondering. Um, and there's a third one. Uh, I think it is Pizza the Breath out there because there's one near my house. Um, and yeah, I think those are the two that stick out in my mind because I've had those pizzas a lot the last uh since I moved here to Etobicoke. Mm-hmm. And uh, just kind of happens. It's so good. Good choices. Good choice. All right. Uh, one more question. One more. Yes. Last question. It's from uh, Totally Offside. Uh, shout out to him, of course. He asked, would you rather be attacked by one horse-sized duck or 10 duck-sized horses? Um, <laughs> That's a question right there. Uh, hmm. I'll say... I think I've... I haven't been attacked by a duck, but I've been kind of attacked by a goose before hmm. kinda and and it's not a nice it's not a nice feeling i remember i <laughs> i was trying to pet it and it it tried like jumping at me or whatever but yeah uh, but um no uh, i honestly honestly to keep it short i'd go with let's just go with i think like how big 10 duck size oh that's still pretty big i'll with one one horse sized duck i don't think a duck is as dangerous as a horse for one and uh let's hope i could outrun one duck as opposed to 10 of them or 10 little horses horses are fast as well and if there's 10 of them i don't think i could outrun them uh i i agree with you there um ducks compared to horses are typically more less 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 threatening but uh i would imagine that uh <laughs> when i when i'm thinking like a horse is uh i don't i would I can't imagine what uh why a horse would uh want to attack you but then again the horses are pretty strong and they can knock you off so they're, they're strong yeah they are no wonder if pe- humans have been riding them for years uh i don't know i would probably say one horse-sized duck but uh like you i hope i can outrun it mm-hmm. um but yeah, those are our answers for this week's questions. Uh, <laughs> keep those funny questions coming. I like them. Um, yes, me too. But that was the episode. And honestly, we, we had a lot to talk about. This week was a great week in sports. Episode, yeah. I feel like I just want to say it right off the bat. One, we, we always say we want to have shorter episodes, more concise. But look, there's a lot to talk about. We've been hitting the one, one hour 30 mark about now. But great episode. Either way. Yeah, excellent um, episode. So, Call us out when, mm-hmm. every time we do this. Yeah, but, I mean, unless you guys like what we're talking about, or, I mean, just, just give us feedback, if anything. But um, <laughs> thank you for listening. Uh, you could always t- tweet me or send me a message or tweet us questions uh, at either of our Twitters. Mine is at Matt underscore Rodrigo underscore. And mine is at the least IMO. And before we go... We were talking last week about the Mario Kart 8 tournament. It's coming. It's is, coming. It I is just, still coming. I've just been very busy this this week, but uh, we have a Google form prepared. We will tweet it out this weekend probably, and we'll yes. have it next week for sure. Next week for sure. So look forward to that and also future episodes of the podcast. And thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.